Good morning. Welcome to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here with us to worship today. I have just a few announcements and things to be aware of this morning. First of all, we want to uh, give a warm welcome to the Gardner-Webb men's soccer team uh, and their coaches. We are glad that you are here with us today and that you are are here to worship. And so we are excited to see you guys here this morning. Uh, There are bags that are in our lobby back here. So after the service, um, you guys are, are welcome to that. And we're so glad that you're here today. Uh, The flowers that are placed in our sanctuary this morning are in honor of Terry Hamrick and her August 7th birthday by her Sunday school class. So we want to wish Terry a happy birthday. Um, Next Sunday, August 19th, our Guatemala mission team that has been in Guatemala all week will be uh, leading us in worship uh, next Sunday. Uh, They are not here today. Uh, They have some videos that they have sent that that we are going to show this morning. Um, And so we can go ahead and show those videos and that will explain a little bit more about where they are. Good morning, Boiling Springs Baptist Church. The group is here at the Miami airport. We had a little change of plans last night, a canceled flight, but the group is well and a little tired. The Lord's blessed us with some great conversations with people last night and this morning, and we were able to help a a young mother with her seven-year-old daughter, Aisha and Isabel, and you can say a prayer for them as they travel back to Charlotte today. Uh, But we're sitting here trying to enjoy a little breakfast this morning. I'm going to pass it to John White. He can say hey to his mama. Hey, mama. Love you. See you. Hopefully see you today, but I ain't going to lie in church. I don't know. Talk to you later. Good morning. Good morning. We really appreciate your prayers. We felt them all week, and we just need them today as well. We've got two flights. We're flying to Tallahassee, and then from Tallahassee, we're coming back into Charlotte about 5 o'clock. Just please know we've had a great week. Again, we're all tired, uh, but we look forward to seeing you, and thank you so much for your prayers. Jeremiah, we're praying for you today as well, brother. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Good morning once again, Boiling Springs family. We realized we didn't get everyone in the last video, so just thought we would record another one. Buenos dias. Good morning. Good morning. Buenos dias. Good morning, Chef family. Good morning. We appreciate all of you and your prayers and concern. We've learned to be more than flexible on this week's journey. Good morning, Gigi. And um, prayers for a trip to Garden City with all the Coxes. Hopefully I can get there before the middle of the week. So, buenos dias, everyone. Hope to see you soon, guys. We want to continue to remember our Guatemala mission team in prayer as they hopefully will be traveling home today. Um, So we want to remember them and we look forward to their time in leading us in worship next week. We are very excited for today. Jeremiah Hamby will be preaching this morning. So Jeremiah, we are, are glad that you're here and glad that you'll be preaching and giving us a message this morning. As we begin our worship this morning, uh, I invite you to take a look at your order of service. There is a call to worship, a responsive reading call to worship that is printed in your bulletin. And so at this time, may we prepare our hearts for worship this morning. The Lord our God is one. This is our deep joy, to love and to be loved by a powerful presence. God 
God hears our borning cry and will breathe with us our last breath. We sing Come, let us worship together. Our hymn is number 348, Shout to the Lord, 348. We'll sing it through two times. If you are able, please stand and join in singing 348. to God in prayer at this time. Eternal God, how good it is to be in your presence, to hear your word which instructs, comforts, and encourages. Thank you for this time of quiet reflection. We celebrate your call to us even as we ask for guidance to go with sure conviction along the paths of justice. We celebrate those who have written your word on their hearts and in faithfulness bear fruit for you. The many gifts you give us 
inspire us to live life more fully than we otherwise could have imagined. We are hesitant to confess, holy God, how hard it is to love as you wish. It is easy to love you with all that we are, except when you ask us to love our neighbor with all that we have. We find it hard to love our neighbor when it is linked to the way we love ourselves. And it is difficult to love anyone, even you, more than we love ourselves. Forgive us, love eternal. As you took a risk in creating us, may we take risk to love others compassionately, to love ourselves genuinely, and to love you as completely as you love us. Dig deeper into our souls, O oh God. Expose the vain selfishness and the fear that seem to block true discipleship. Engage us in ministries of justice in which the kind of love that you call us to have is all-encompassing, not just in our spoken word or in our offerings of monies, but in our very passionate nature. Free us and inspire us to love all persons, those whom we would deem unlovable and those whom we find it easy to love. Help us love ourselves, respecting ourselves in gratitude for the gifts you have given to us. Then move us to use these gifts in service to you and others. We ask these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Our next hymn is number 368, We Praise You With Our Minds, O Lord, 368. If you are able, please stand and join in singing.
O loving God, may this offering become a blessing in the world which you love. May we show that we have truly heard the call to love you with all our heart, with all our soul and mind, and with all our strength by increasingly loving the neighbor as ourselves. We pray that in all we do, we will show the generous spirit of our brother, Christ Jesus. Amen. Standard Version of Mark 12, 28 through 34. Please listen to this conversation between a scribe and Jesus. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, that is Jesus, answered them well, he, the scribe, asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and beside him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. Good morning, everyone. I am honored to be asked to fill in for Pastor Keith this morning. I've told a few people, I've had the opportunity to preach in a few different churches over the last several years. This will be the first time I'm preaching to the quote unquote home crowd. I'm usually somewhere where there's a whole bunch of unfamiliar faces, but it's a joy to have so many familiar faces around today. And an honor to have my family here. They're being good Baptists over in the back. It's an honor to have them in today, but I'm very thankful to have them here and as well as the men's soccer team. Many of you I recognize from living in my building. A few of you I have not yet met, but I'm sure I will in the coming weeks. Thank you for being here as well. As Dr. Hobbs read, we're in Mark chapter 12 this morning, and we're, we're coming in, looking at a whole conversation, but really we're walking into the middle of a scene here, and we're going to walk through a little bit of this beautiful passage that's rich with many details, many ways could be taken in looking at this passage. There's so much here to be seen, but I want to take some time walking through this dialogue, and we'll begin with this question, because I, I'm a fan of questions. I love a question. You ask my family, and they've told me this before, I was born with a question mark in my mouth. I came out of the womb asking questions. And so I'm very fond of them, I enjoy them. I enjoy a good question almost better than some answers sometimes. But I want to take some time to look at this question. Oh, and there was one other story there as well. In middle school, I had a, a math teacher who we had a sign. When I asked too many questions, I got the look, and I was done for the day. So I've, I've had my share of them. But here in this passage, we, we encounter a scribe asking a question of Jesus, and I want us to follow this conversation because it takes us sometimes, like many good questions, to a place that we don't necessarily expect to go, but it's where we go here today. And the questions we ask, they say a lot about us, and they say a lot about the places that those questions can take us. The question the scribe asks in this passage takes us, will begin in the Torah, will begin in the Hebrew Bible, takes us, and then it takes us all the way to the kingdom of God. How on earth do we go from one to the other? And I ask you to come with me on a little bit of this traveling between these places this morning. I'll talk a little bit about some of the background there. And then we'll begin with the Torah. Then we'll go through the prophets because very subtly, the prophets make an appearance in this passage. And then we'll talk about that kingdom of God that Jesus says that this scribe is not far from. So, we'll begin this morning a little bit of the context of what's going on here in Mark. As with everything to do with Mark, it's all about where's things going, where's the story going, and you just have to keep reading to find out what Jesus is saying, what he's talking about. 
And in this passage, we have come to Jerusalem. We are entering that final week of Christ's life. He has had the triumphal entry. He has cleansed the temple. And we're here at the next day back on the temple scene. And we've had the scribes and Pharisees coming at Jesus with all kinds of questions, trying to trip him up about the resurrection that, the, that they don't even believe in. And so it's like a lot going on here, a lot of animosity against Jesus trying to prove him wrong because people starting to kind of like what he's saying, they're interested and the status quo doesn't like that. So that's what's going on here. Again, in Jerusalem, leaders trying to tempt Jesus, trying to catch him up in something. And then we get to this question with this scribe. This scribe who all of a sudden doesn't seem to be approaching with that really just trying to trip up Jesus sense, but he comes with really a genuine question of, what is the greatest commandment? Before, in each of the other passages, we talk, it's mentioned by the writer that they're trying to trip him up in some way, trying to get Jesus to say something wrong, but this scribe overhears what's happening. He's like, this guy, this Jesus guy, he's been answering questions real well to all these other really smart guys that I know. I wonder what he would say to this. And the question, before we get to it, is not a new question. This is a question that for centuries a, Jew, a good practicing Jew would be asking, especially a Jewish scholar, what is the greatest commandment? For remember, there are 613 different commandments in the Torah, the first five books of our Bible, 613. To go through all of them, even if you read really fast, would still take, I'm gonna guess, about four hours minimum to get through them all. And so a lot of Jewish scholars would then want to condense them, nutshell it, give it to us, how, what's the simplest way we can put all of these? And there would be, there's many scribes, many different scholars, many different rabbis that have tried throughout history to do that. And there are two really big names right around the time of Christ that do this as well, and they, they hint at where Jesus will later go. But we have the Rabbi Hillel, one of the most famous Jewish rabbis of the ancient world. He's recorded to have, when someone asked him to be able to explain to them while standing on, while he, they stand on one foot, explain all of the Torah. And basically just so, before I lose my balance, tell me what all it is. So you've got a timetable here. And Rabbi Halil does it this way. He says, do not do to your neighbor what is hateful to you. This is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. And this is just a short while before we have Christ coming in. But already, Jewish scholars are slowly approaching. These Jewish rabbis are starting to get the hints from the Old Testament what this, what the, what's, the, what's the essence of what's going on here? And so we, we, we disagree a little with what Hillel said clearly, but that's okay. Also around the time of Jesus, we have Philo doing the same thing, trying to wrestle with this question. How can we simplify these 613 different commandments? And he essentially says that you have piety and holiness towards God and justice towards all men, you have sufficed all of the law. And so again, wrestling with this question. And so now we fast forward just a little bit further beyond these two men and we come to our scribe and we come to Christ. 
Again, in Mark 12, beginning in verse 28, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which one, which commandment is the most important of all? And then Jesus responds, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. In this journey, the scribe is wrestling with what do we do with all the Torah, basically. And so Jesus, he starts there. He says, you want to know the greatest commandment? Here you go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind, soul and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He, he starts off there, but he does something that's never been done before. In no writing before that time do we ever see anyone connect those two commands. And those two commands come from two different places. One you may recognize is what we also call the Shema, or what Jews would call the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It comes from Deuteronomy 6. The other one, love your neighbor as yourself, comes from Leviticus 19.18. And so we have this bringing together of two texts that never have been before by Jesus, which kind of becomes the standard for Jesus and Mark, turning the tables, doing things that hadn't been done before, saying things that hadn't been said. And so we see these two different parts of the Torah being brought close together and saying, this is it. This is what you're supposed to do. These are the greatest. Now, someone paying attention to what's going on is gonna say, whoa, 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 whoa. I asked for one, you gave me two. Which is interesting, because in thinking about this, it's like, we're commanding something like a two for one special, because the scribe asked for one, and then Jesus gave two in return. And that's just quite an interesting thing that again, trying to pull it all together and make sense of it, that Jesus then basically brings these two very different statements to say that they aren't that far apart from each other, that really you can take them together. And he starts to bring these two worlds together, the world of reverence to God and love of neighbor. We start, we, we are all of a sudden now in this new mindset that we have to think about bringing this together. And I think that also speaks to the really the complexity of the question is that so many Jewish folks, they think, okay, it's really simple. We just gotta figure out what's the one thing that we can rally it around. What's the one thing that can make all, this, all these commandments make sense? Where in reality, it's a very complex question. It involves a whole lot and involves more than just one statement because we are very, at least speaking from my perspective, I'm a very limited person. I can't understand everything very well. And so things are very complex and hard to grasp sometimes. And for Jesus, he says, let's bring these two thoughts. And the scribe's going to have known them very well. So he brings them and starts to bring things a little bit closer. So we start with the Torah. We start with the law, what the scribe was very familiar with. And then the scribe responds in this way. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, referring to God, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings 
and sacrifices. To begin with, this scribe has done something that no other religious leader has done in all of Mark, in the whole story. He says, yeah, you're right, Jesus. The whole rest of the way, the scribes are all against him. They're like, no, and trying to argue and to debate and trying to push him and trying to trick him. And all of a sudden, we get this scribe that says, you're right. That's exactly right. And, all, and th- what one thinks when one hears a scribe coming up is all of a sudden turned on its head. You expect him to be like, well, but, or to be like what I said, oh, you gave me two instead of one, or that that's not quite right, you need to add a little bit of this or take that out. But the scribe says, absolutely, You're, you were 100% right. But he doesn't only do that. What's so interesting is he adds just a touch in his agreement is that he says you're exactly right and it is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That wasn't something that Jesus mentioned, but that's something the scribe concludes as well, which is pretty incredible as a sense as part of his duties relates to the temple and the teachings. And if he says all of a sudden all the burnt offerings and sacrifices can't compare to loving God and loving neighbor, Wow, we have changed the game a little bit. We have altered this. This must be an incredible new insight from this scribe. But I I ask, have we heard that somewhere before? Is this the first time in the whole Bible that that thought's ever come up? And I'd say no. I'd like to take us back to Hosea, Hosea 6, if you would come with me there. Hosea 6, beginning in verse 4, and this is the lamenting against an unrepentant Israel and Judah. The text says, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as light. And hear this. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So this is not exactly a new thought, but it's one that's not really mentioned a whole lot in in lots of Jewish tradition up to this point. And we have this scribe all of a sudden saying, yeah, these burnt offerings and sacrifices, they don't mean nearly as much, really anything, if we're not loving God. And so he pulls back to the prophets. And this is not the only time in the prophets that we hear this call. Also, you don't have to go there with me, but I'm gonna read from Isaiah. Isaiah also, in a much longer form, calls the people to this kind of a way of living. In Isaiah 1, I'll begin in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. 
when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Skipping down to verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here again, we have yet another prophet telling the people, your sacrifices aren't it. That's not enough. That's not all that there is to this you also have to love God and to love your neighbor, to love those around you, to show the love of God that he has shown to you, to others. You can't just bring your sacrifices. And here in Mark, we see that a scribe has caught that. He's caught on that that's not it. He's caught on that there's more to this thing than simply going to the temple and offering worship, and offering sacrifices. This could have been a question that's been burning in him for a while and he's not been sure about, he's probably got the standard line from the scribes and that's what you need to do, that's what we are commanded to do in the Torah, so that's how this goes. Everything else can be whatever. Could have been we never know. We don't know a whole lot about this guy. He only makes a brief appearance. But what we do know is that he has a question about it. And he already has a sense of the answer. And Christ confirms that in him. And then he's able to start to see beyond, start to see beyond where he's at and to where Christ calls us to go. We begin in the Torah, we hear the prophets in the reply. Let's see where we go next. As we go down to verse number 34, we hear the response of Jesus to what the scribe says. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. We started in the Torah, found our way through a little bit of the prophets. Now all of a sudden, we find ourselves on the edge of this kingdom of God. We find ourselves not so much in the temple where in one sense you be, the story began, but now we're in this realm, the near this kingdom that throughout Mark is talked about. If you, some of you were at the Wednesday night Bible study I led back a few months ago, the first one in the series we looked at was Mark, Mark 1.1. And the beginning of Mark inaugurating and talking about the kingdom of God drawing near. And all throughout Mark, we hear about this kingdom of God, this kingdom of God that's coming, that's coming, that's coming. And then we get our wonderful dramatic end of Mark in which everyone went and said nothing to no one for they were afraid. And so here we get another, another glimpse. 
And just like everywhere else in Mark, it's the most unsuspecting person who gets it. Nowhere in, the, in, the, in that whole book do the disciples get it. The ones that walk with Jesus, none of them ever get it. We, we laugh a little bit at along the way. It just seems like they can't understand what's going on. But then it's, it becomes the poor, the ones that are in need of healing and that see that. They are the ones who start to get it, who start to see what Christ is saying and hear the most unexpected up to this point, this scribe, one of the people who have been the staunch opponents of Jesus, he starts, he seems to be getting it. He starts to get it because Christ tells him that you are not far from the kingdom of God. Just briefly before this passage here, we were told of the rich young ruler and told how it takes a miracle essentially for him to get into the kingdom of God. And the author sets it up. We're expecting to hear something similar about a scribe. But we hear that he may be the closest one yet of many of the people that we meet in this story. And where this takes us is to another question that we have to think a little bit on is if he's close to the kingdom of God, what is this kingdom that's being talked about here? What is this kingdom? Is Jesus saying he's about to die and go to heaven? Maybe, and, the king, and heaven has a part in that. But in so many ways, what this passage is telling us is that the kingdom of God is more than just heaven. And Mark will point us that direction as well because Mark 1 tells us the kingdom of God draws near And then by the end of it, you get the sense the kingdom of God has arrived. Christ has inaugurated that kingdom. The kingdom of God, in many ways, is the work that we, as followers of Christ, are called to do. The loving of God and the loving of neighbor. As this passage points us to, it takes us from the commandments and tells us that what has been told in the Old Testament has a value and of importance. That they got it right. That they heard God correctly in saying that you need to, that I am the Lord your God. Love me and love your neighbor. Jesus is saying you're on the right track with that. He's saying that this man has got the right ideas in his head but it's not enough to have the right answer to this question. What becomes important is what we do with the answer to this question. We don't know what happens to this scribe here. You're just told that at this point, no one asks Jesus any other questions. That's kind of where this, like in many ways, the story's kind of left on a cliffhanger. What happened to the scribe? Did he figure it out? Did he become a follower of Christ? We're left to have that question, to have that little bit of wonder. In my hopeful sense, part of me thinks, yes, the scribe got it. And the getting of it becomes the doing of it. The doing of loving God. The doing of loving neighbor as self, but that's the hardest part. 
hate to say that, but it's the hardest part. It's not just understanding it, which for some, for the scribes and Pharisees, the rest of them, they just couldn't seem to get it. But then once he got it, then it was then time to begin doing the kingdom work. We leave him at the edge of the kingdom and never quite sure if he finds his way in or not. If he finds his way in to being a follower of Christ, to believing in the gospel that Christ brings and proclaims to the entire world. We're not quite sure. Again, I choose to be hopeful in that this scribe eventually did get it, could have been one of the minority that was in support of his followers after his death. But one thing is, that's one thing that we would just never know. But what I find also so beautiful is that Jesus' response implies, or at least as the way I can understand this text, it implies that that scribe can get there not on his own merit by any means, but it's not impossible to reach that kingdom. It's not somewhere that's secluded and far off, high and lofty and impossible to even do, but it's possible. No matter how hard it may be to love your neighbor, it's still possible. It is still possible. So, this question took us many places that one would not initially expect. Again, we began in the Torah, the original commandments, and what was created early and given to the Jewish people by God. We go, we went into the prophets and saw what the prophets told the people about their burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's not enough. And we hear Jesus pushing that even just a little bit further. It's not enough. And Jesus bridges two worlds that are yet to be brought together in the sense of you love God, you love neighbor, all of that. That's the one thing. That's the one thing. They go hand in hand. And that's where we come to at the end of this. A little bit of a cliffhanger with the scribe. But we, get a, we begin to finally put the pieces together. What is this kingdom of God that's being described here by our Lord Jesus. And in working through this, it's caused me again to wonder about the questions we ask. Because we all have many questions that we take with us. The youth that were in my small group a few weeks ago in Daytona, I had them do what I'm gonna ask you to do now. You all have a bulletin or something. Grab a piece of paper and a writing utensil. What is one question that you have? It can be from here, it can be that you have carried with you for a while, but what is one question about God, about life, about scripture, about what? What is one question that you can carry with you? Because these questions that we have, just like the question of the scribe, God can work through them to bring us closer to where he wants us to be. There is such a value in being willing to ask a question and to being able to find people who will help you wrestle with that question. The scribe went to find someone who would help him with that question. I know that there are many people in the room. I go to the Kerygma class, so I know there are many people that are good with questions in here. And so I know that we can find people to be able to wrestle with those questions. And I'd encourage 
everyone to find that question for you. For the scribe, it was what was the first commandment? For you, it may be something different that you wrestle with. But wrestle with it. Bring it to others. Pray over that question. Seek that question. And in much the way that the scribe was able to ask that question and Christ was able to work through that question with him to bring him closer to the kingdom, I believe that God can work in incredible ways to work through our questions. As Clayman talked about our doubts last week, our doubts that we may have, that he then can use those to bring us even just a little bit closer to where he wants us to be and to guide us forward. My question to leave with you right now is, are you on the edge of the kingdom or are you in the kingdom ready and willing and doing the work that God has called us to? Candy's gonna come up and lead us in a hymn. I'm gonna invite you to come forward. I'll be down front. And if anyone, if you wish to pray about anything, if you have any questions you wish to bring to the altar, please feel free to bring them. If you have any questions about, this, about what it means to join Bowling Springs Church, I will happily point you to one of our ministers. But I encourage you, take this with you. Take this with you as we go.
Again, we want to thank everyone for being here today. If you have, if you would like to speak with one of our ministers, Alan Newcomb, he is here as well, as well as Candy Wilson. There are two of our ministers, are, again, our pastor, Keith. We're praying for him and the rest of the Guatemala team to make it back safely, hopefully today, as they're, they're working on a very long day so far. But again, thank you all for being here. And for our benediction, I'm going to read from Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Be blessed today.